Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she had learned that he was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two great debtors. One owned him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I have the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. I ask you to take your word this morning and speak to us. I ask you to take your word this morning and equip us. I ask you to take your word this morning and give us a vision of the life you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Our relationship would change pretty quickly if I told you this morning that I know everything about you. I know all of the thoughts that you've had. I know all of the struggles that you have. I know all of the doubts that you have had. If I knew everything about you this morning, our relationship would change pretty quickly because things would probably get a little awkward. But at the end of the day, all of us in our hearts are longing to have a relationship with someone where they will know everything and still love us. What's the reason we don't share things about ourselves? What's the reason that we hide things? Because we think if someone finds out, they're going to treat us differently. If someone finds out the truth about us, they're not going to accept us or like us. We all desire what you could say is that deep, deep love where someone knows everything and still maintains the relationship. This morning, as we read in Luke chapter 7, we run into an interesting situation where the religious crowd and everybody else that's gathering around is basically saying, hey, Jesus, we know a lot about this woman and what you are doing doesn't make sense. You could basically say that the religious people are saying, who and what sort of person is Jesus with? They're struggling because they know who and what sort of person Jesus is allowing to touch him. They know that this woman has been with other men. They know that this woman is seen in society as dirty. They know that this woman is seen as society as someone who you should keep your distance from. So who and what sort of person is Jesus with? Jesus is with the very sort of person 
that Jesus extends a promise to and extends a call to. What we see in John, Luke chapter 7 is a story that actually matches what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5 that we read early in our service where Jesus is spending some time with the tax collectors and he says basically to the religious leaders, hey, settle down a little bit. I came to spend time with these people. I did not come to call the righteous or the healthy, but I came to call the sinners and the sick. And then in Luke 7, it's just a picture of Jesus living out His mission. You could basically say from Luke 5 and Luke chapter 7 that Jesus extends a call to, a, to specific people who have specific stories and oftentimes very messy stories. And this is really important to recognize this morning that Jesus calls specific people. If you look in Luke 5, it says Jesus was at the home of Levi, a man that lived in history, a man who committed many wrongdoings, a man who was seen in society as someone as evil, Jesus goes to this specific person and calls this specific person to a life of following after him. And he does not make this specific person a robot. He does not say, okay, you're no longer Levi, but now you're a robot, Jesus. He makes him redeemed Levi, follower Levi. And the same is true of you and I today. That each of us are uniquely created. Everybody in here has got a different story this morning. Everybody in here this morning has got different talents, different doubts, different disappointments, different histories. We've all got a specific story because we are specific people. And God calls specific people. What does God call specific people to do? We see this morning a, a grand picture of what God is basically calling us or who God is calling us to be. In the weeks ahead, over the rest of month of November and December, we're going to be focusing on something very simple. Very simple, getting healthy. Our goal over the next six to eight weeks is to get a healthy core. What I mean by that is just to be healthy people. I'm not saying that we're unhealthy, but I am saying we need to take some time and refresh ourselves and refine ourselves so we make sure we are healthy. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the goal of discipleship. The goal of discipleship is to reproduce and make other disciples. Well, if you're going to reproduce, you want to make sure what you're reproducing is healthy. And so we want to examine our own hearts and our own lives and say, are we healthy people? So that when we go out and we help other people enter into a life of Jesus, following Jesus, we can help them be healthy. And in order to be healthy, the very first step is this. Understand who God has called us to be. Understand our core. And this morning, we get a picture of what that core is. And that core, you could very simply say, is that we are called to be forgiven followers. That's the simple mission of Jesus, is to make people into forgiven followers. Well, let's take a few moments and look at this issue of being forgiven. I mean, this is good news, right? To receive the forgiveness of sins, to have your debt canceled for any wrongdoing you've done, this is good news! This is the best news in the world, actually. A jail-free card. You're no longer under punishment. The devil no longer has authority over you. The wrath of God is no longer going to touch you at the judgment seat. You've been released from all debt. This is really good news. We are forgiven. Part of being forgiven, though, is to be reminded that there is a charge against us. You see, when somebody forgives you, they're also making a charge against you as well as bringing good news. If I say to you today, you are forgiven, I'm saying 
you've done something wrong. If you haven't done something wrong, there's no need for forgiveness. And so when Jesus extending forgiveness, He's telling us we've done something wrong. He's reminding us who we are at our root level. And who we are at our root level is rebels against God. The Bible describes it in a little different language of saying we are sinful. That we are sinful in our natures against God. The thing called original sin. We are born enemies of God. We are rebels. And God reminds us of that when He says you are forgiven. He's saying you've done something wrong. And now you are forgiven. That debt is released. And so when Jesus forgives us, He's giving us an entrance point into the Christian life, but not just an entrance point, but also the point of continuous refreshment. Forgiveness is not a one-and-done deal. God does not say, hey, you're forgiven, good to go, come on in, start living the life, and go ahead. But forgiveness is something we experience throughout our whole life. You could say that it's a life partner because we are still living in the flesh. And the Bible tells us that as long as we are living in the flesh, we're still bothered by this thing called sin. And as we're bothered by this thing called sin, we need this forgiveness to refresh us and renew us. And so when Jesus says, your sins are forgiving, He's opening the door to a life of following Him, but then He's also going to pour out forgiveness on us throughout our life of following after Him. Forgiveness is not a one-time deal. Forgiveness is something we need continually throughout our lives. Forgiveness from God, though, is also a little messy. And it's really challenging because when we are forgiven, we are forgiven, not empowered to continue in sin. God doesn't say, hey, yeah, you're wrong, you're forgiven for your wrongdoing, but just keep doing what you're doing because I'll just forgive you more. Whenever Jesus interacts with someone, He extends forgiveness and then He also extends a call to obedience. We've got a real challenge in our culture today. And in our church world today, we've got a real challenge. Churches advertise themselves by saying the following, hey, we're all imperfect, come join us and be imperfect with us. Okay, (laughs) that's a problem thing. Is it true that we're all imperfect? Yes, but we cannot use our imperfections to justify continuing in our imperfections. Jesus actually raises the bar. And in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just because we have made mistakes and we will make mistakes doesn't mean we can intentionally go on making more mistakes. It's kind of said this way, and it's really complicated, so I just use this long sentence, to long couple sentences. Our mess does not justify another person's mess. Another person's mess does not justify our mess. The fact that they are in a mess and we are in a mess simply means that we are all in a mess. I mean, how many times have we said this? Well, who are you to say something to me? Because you're imperfect as well. It's unbiblical. It's not the way of Jesus at all. We don't call out one another's sin because we've came to a place of perfection. We call out one another's sin by simply laying out the Word of God. And we don't wait to become perfect to lay out the commands of God. So many of us today are justifying our own perfections by looking and saying, well, everyone's imperfect. Are we a mess? Absolutely. We've made ourselves a mess by our sin. But God does not want to leave us a mess. 
Jesus, this is where it's just absolutely radical and another thing of Jesus that doesn't make logical sense, which is the majority of Jesus' teaching. Jesus does what? We are a mess and Jesus says, okay, come on in. I mean, this woman who's washing Jesus' feet, (laughs) this is a disaster thing. The religious leader is getting kissed by a prostitute. This is really bad PR. But Jesus says, hey, bring your mess, come on. But who is Jesus? Jesus is a doctor, a physician. He said in Luke chapter 5 that he's a doctor, he's a physician that's come to call the sick. What does a good doctor do? Gives you medication. How many of you have gone to a doctor and the doctor said, geez, looks like you got strep throat. Good luck next week. How many of you are going to go back to that doctor? A doctor doesn't leave you a mess. A doctor wants to create health. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Jesus is not in the business of leaving you in a mess. He is also not in the business of affirming your mess. He's in the business of calling your mess what it is, a mess. And this is where it's really hard being a Christian. is because we're actually called to do the exact same thing. Call it what it is, a mess. And sometimes it's going to get misconstrued. Sometimes it's going to get misconstrued as judgment. All we're doing is simply calling it what it is, a mess. But the good news today is that God has forgiven us and God wants to cleanse us from our mess. And He's invited us into a life of following after Him where we can leave behind our mess, where we can work against our mess and experience newness and new creation because we are now followers of Christ. This is the second side of the same coin. So as Jesus says, you're forgiven, He also says, come, follow me. In other words, we are followers. Basic premise of Jesus' ministry is to make disciples. Jesus has got a central mission. Make disciples. He says it in Matthew 28 that he did it and now he wants us to do it. Well, a disciple is literally a learner. Next week we're going to spend a lot of time on this, but really quickly, the goal of a disciple is to become like their master. And so a rabbi or a teacher would go out and find someone and say, hey, come be my student. And then the goal of that rabbi was to take that student inform their thinking, form their behavior, so that student would then begin to reflect the ways of the rabbi, the ways of the teacher. The goal of Jesus was to call people into a life of being his disciple or a life of being a learner where we would learn his ways and begin to practice his ways in our life. You could basically say to be a follower is to have an active life of seeking to know and become. The Christian life is not a stagnant life of just believing the right things. The Christian life is an active life of getting to know Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. So when Jesus makes the declaration, your sins are forgiven, he's also laying out the command, come follow me. Come become like me. Reflect his image to the world around us. This is who we are. This is Jesus' primary mission, to make us forgiven followers. We can't lose sight of our roots. You've heard politicians say this, right? I'll remember where I came from. Here's where I came from. And why do they say that? Because they want to give the promise that when they have power and authority, they're going to remember the little guy. They're going to remember how they were at that point and they want people to think that then they're going to come back and help them because they remember their roots. What happens every time, almost every time? Whew! Forget their roots pretty darn quick thing. Across the board, Democrat, Republican, everyone. 
forgets their roots. When you forget your roots, you start to drift. The same is true for us as Christians. We cannot forget our roots because when we forget our roots, the first thing that happens is we will see other people's rebellion as far worse and we'll begin to separate ourselves. This is what's happening in our story in Luke chapter 7. You got the religious leaders there. They have forgotten that they've received forgiveness of sin as well. And so now they're sitting there saying, Jesus, there's a sinner here. They've elevated themselves above this woman. That's what happens when we forget that we were one time in the same situation as that woman. It may have been different sin. It may have been a completely different mess. But we were in the exact same position. And when we forget that at our root, we are rebels against God who have been forgiven, if we forget that, we begin to elevate ourselves and look down on others. But rather, we have to become gentle and humble in heart, acknowledging where we've come from and who we are and saying that's not who God wants us to be. The power for us to forgive and the power for us to extend forgiveness comes from remembering that we ourselves are in need of it and have received it. We cannot forget our roots. The second thing that happens if we forget our roots of being a follower, we simply puff up into a belief balloon that has nothing but hot air. And this, I would argue, is the majority challenge for the majority of us. We've made Christianity into a checklist of beliefs. I've got news for you. When you stand before the judgment seat, God is not opening the book and saying, hey, did you agree with everything in the Apostles' Creed? It's actually never challenged when talking about judgment or penalty from God of what we believe. The focus is always on what did you do? The goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. And we forget that our primary call is to be a follower, to know someone, and to reflect that person to the world around us. We simply just become obsessed with believing the right things and then trying to get other people to believe the right things and then we're good to go. Even though our heart's full of greed and jealousy and bitterness, hey, we believe the right things. When the primary call has been to become a learner of Jesus and take His heart upon our life and reflect that heart to the world around us. If we forget our roots, we basically just become a bunch of hot air looking down on other people. We are forgiven followers of Christ. And as forgiven followers of Christ, we have to be really careful that we don't become religious hypocrites. This is exactly what happened to the religious leaders in Luke 7. They're religious. They're going through all of the motions. They've read their Bibles. they got the Old Testament memorized more than any of us do. But they're hypocrites because they're not remembering that they themselves have received forgiveness and they're not remembering the commands that they themselves are preaching. We've got to be really careful that we don't join up and become religious hypocrites as well. And instead of being religious hypocrites, God has called us to be forgiven followers. And not forgiven followers that are robots, but forgiven followers that have a specific story and a specific identity. Each of us that are gathered here this morning has got hopes and dreams, disappointments, hurts, talents, doubts, etc. We've all got them. And we all bring different ones to the table. And at the end of the day, the exact same time, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're all 
in that boat together. You could basically say that everyone here has an extreme, unique story. So, so the question for us then is, who and what sort of person are you? Are you a redeemed Franklin Anderson? Are you a forgiven Richard McCorris? Or are you just continuing on in your old ways? Are you just continuing on in the ways of the world? Who and what sort of person are you? Are you a forgiven follower? This morning, I want to spend a few moments. This is going to be a little bit, a little bit different than normal. I want to spend a few moments just talking about um, who I am and what God has done in my life. Not to, not to lift it up, but rather to give an example that all of us need to find the uniquenesses in our life. All of us need to recognize the different messes that are in our life so that God can redeem and work in us. I share this morning to, to show that all of us are bringing some different messes to the table today. Some of these messes are because of things we've done ourselves. Some of these messes are circumstances that were out of our control, but it all just kind of comes together. Everything's not perfect this morning for all of us here. And we think about who and what sort of person we are, we've got to reflect on our own lives so that we can ask God to bring healing to us. When I think of myself and I try to describe who I am, the first place that I go to is my grandfather. My grandfather is the most influential person in my life, had the most influence on, I think, how I think today even, how I work today, um, how I do family life. Um, when I was born, I don't know my biological father thing. Um, know a little bit about him, but I, I don't know him. And uh, I've had a pretty good life. Even in the midst of that, I've never wondered where a meal's coming from. I've had every education opportunity you could ask for. I've basically had life on a silver platter for the most part. Yeah, I, I don't know my biological father. And at the end of the day, when I think back, I don't remember my birth through the age four until my mom got remarried, but birth through the age four, basically, didn't have a father. And I, when I do think back, I think, man, that could have been a real mess. But the reason that it wasn't a real mess is because I had a grandfather. I had a grandfather and a grandmother who basically did everything for us. My grandfather's life revolved around us thing. We were what he was all about. Thing. I don't know how many times I spent time at that fence in the summer. And you can see because look how nicely white that fence is. Thing. Thing. He'd, he'd paint that thing I don't know how many times every summer, I think. But my grandfather provided for us at, at every turn. Thing. My grandfather worked us to the bone at, at, every, at every turn. I was a little bit different as a kid growing up. I actually spent a lot of time with people that were older than I was. And so even in high school, after school, I'd still go to my grandparents' house, work on the farm. We'd spend a lot of time together. And I learned a lot during all of that thing. It's formed the way I think today. And in the midst of that, I think of the lessons I've learned and the example that he set for me. A couple of the examples were generosity. My grandfather was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination at all. But he was a generous man. During his last couple of years of life, my grandfather was given some money by a long, kind of, kind of relative-ish type long story situation. But every Christmas, my grandfather would receive some money from this individual. My grandfather turned and gave all of that money away, every dime of it, to all of his kids and his grandkids. And he'd keep any of it for himself. When he died, he didn't have any money, basically. And it wasn't because he was spending lavishly. He gave it all away, every chance he got. And that's had a real impact on my life. 
thing. That's formed who I, who I want to be. I, I want to give it away thing. I don't want to store anything up. I want to live as cheap as I can. Not to be cheap. I want to live as cheap as I can so I can give more away. And what's happened in my life, I look back on the first three years of my life and I don't know exactly how that's formed me today as a husband and as a father, but I do know this, that God has redeemed that area of my life because I am passionate and I've given my life to ministry to single moms and their kids. I'm highly involved in a ministry in Sioux Falls called Compassion Child Care. Simply exist to help kids that don't have good family situations. Want to help single moms do everything they can to give their kids a better chance because those kids don't have a grandfather. And so as I look at my own story, the reason that I've got such a passion for that is not because I'm like, I need something to do today. It's because I know what happened in my own life God has redeemed me and has given me that passion today that other people would experience the exact same thing. And I look at my own life and the grandfather kind of had a little unhealthy work ethic thing. Even in the midst of, he would come to all of our sporting activities. He didn't miss a thing, but he still worked six days a week thing. And he was a religious Baptist. He took the seventh day off like you wouldn't believe. We'd be combining, and I'm not even exaggerating, the 11.50, hey, this is the last row, we're quitting. And we would be done by midnight. Even if there was just a little bit left, you'd be, Grandpa, let's just finish. Nope, when do we start? Midnight on Sunday or Monday morning to finish. Thing. Okay, at the end of the day, when I look back, I would even say this to my grandfather today. That was a little unhealthy, and I don't think God necessarily means that we have to stop at midnight and start the next morning at midnight. Thing. I've picked up some of the same exact work habits as my grandfather, which can be unhealthy sometimes. You just go, go, go instead of resting so that you can continue to go, go, go. My grandfather came to the end of his life. It was a difficult time, and he was in a wheelchair, and we all knew it was going to be difficult at some point, but you never totally prepare for how difficult it was. We came to the end, he was on life support and for a really long time. Thing. And I can't remember the exact amount of time it was, but it was up and down. And you know how the family dynamics go in the midst of all that. Lots of conversation about when, where, what, how should we handle this. And it was, I'll just say, it was, oh, I was dead tired thing. I lived near the hospital, so I'd spend a lot of time there. thing. And as I look back on it, I remember after it happened, there's a lot of guilt after it happened, because when my grandpa was the weakest, I was probably also at my weakest saying, I just want this to be done thing. And so there's some guilt after that going, geez, when grandpa was his weakest, I should have been my strongest saying, hey, let's fight on. But you know what? God is patient. God redeems that. God comes back and gives you second chances to pour into other people's lives. And that leaves hurts. Today, one of my greatest regrets is that my grandfather will never meet my two kids. Thing. My grandfather's life revolved around grandchildren. And I just think, I hope he would be proud of the two kids that I have. And one of the biggest challenges is my grandmother now doesn't necessarily want to spend time with my kids. She's got health struggles. And for me, that's like, that is just a stab because it was so important to me. And I knew that if my grandfather was here, he'd be driving out here for all of the big events. But yet, even in the midst of that hurt and that pain, I can still go and visit my grandfather's grave today and won't shed a tear because I'm going, jeez, 
He's just resting in the presence of Christ and he's got the promise of the resurrection. But it doesn't still mean there's some hurt there and there's some issues to deal with that God's working through you on. So all of that stuff kind of forms who I am. You've got the same stuff. It looks a little different. It's got different names in the blank, but you've got the same stuff. And today, when I look at my life today, you could look at it and you could say, wow, you got the American dream. I got two kids, healthy. I mean, they look darn good for being my kids. Thing, thing. I'm already having to plan, how, what am I going to do when she's a teenager? I mean, you could say, I've got the American dream. A beautiful wife, beautiful kids, a beautiful home. We got everything that we need. Yet everything's not perfect. We've got challenges, and most of those challenges come from stuff in my life. I've got anger issues. I've got a really, really short, short, short amount of patience. And it comes out in our marriage, in our parenting. I've got to work through all of that. And we've got a mess too. My wife's mother passed away a couple years ago. That hasn't been easy. That's been heavy lifting for her. In the midst of being heavy lifting for her, it's heavy lifting for us. My wife and I are completely different. My wife's love language is time. Spend time. My love language is acts of service. Let's do the dishes. Let's take out the garbage. And so you can get to the end of the day. I've taken out the garbage. I've done all of the dishes. I've mowed the lawn. I've paid all the bills. And you get to the end of the day and I, my wife can look at me and go, do you love me? And I can look at her and go, how can you even think that? Look at everything I've done. But I'm just simply speaking a different language. And it's been a challenge. And you know that, husbands and wives, that challenge that comes up. I got married later in life, 27, 28, so I've lived alone for a long time and I'm independent to begin with. And then you just add some more independence. Then next thing you know, you had a wife and kids and it's like, whoa, life doesn't revolve around your preferences any longer. And it's a challenge. There's times where it doesn't all go so great. Mistake after mistake. There's little messes here and there. And you've got the exact same thing. Maybe you don't have anger issues, but you've got greed issues. Or you've got depression issues. Everybody here this morning has got a unique story. And you're probably bringing a mess with you to worship this morning. God's working on me and my mess. And are we making progress? I think so, but it's slow. It's heavy lifting, but we're making progress. It'll be redeemed. How about you and your mess this morning? You can put up a nice picture, but what's God doing? How's God's redeeming the different circumstances that have happened in your life? What's God's giving you a passion for now when you look back on what's been instrumental in your life? And have you put your mess out in the open? I don't share my mess this morning to say, okay, let's all get in a circle and have a group hug. I don't need a group hug. Thing. The goal of Christian confession and sharing is not a group hug and say, we can all feel better now because we're in the same boat. The goal is to create healing and health. You bring it out into the light and out of the darkness so you get accountability and encouragement to overcome it. This morning, some of you got a mess. You got to get out in the light. And the good news this morning is God has made a call on your life. 
And that call is first and foremost that you are forgiven in Him. And the second call is this, that you are to become a follower of Him. You are to become a forgiven follower, whoever you are this morning. This morning, you can leave and continue to walk in the darkness and say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your work life. It's affecting your relationships with other people. It affects your level of of thinking and your intimacy with God the Heavenly Father. It's time to bring the mess out and deal with it. And God doesn't say, oh, oh, ah, what are we going to do? God's not surprised. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that He knows everything. Everything's laid bare before Him anyhow. And the relationship with you hasn't changed this morning. He loves you the same. And so this morning, the question simply becomes, who and what type of person are you? Are you a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ who's being redeemed in the midst of your mess? This morning, everybody in here could finish the following sentence. I am blank. I am Rich McCorris. Uh, some of you this morning would say, I am blank an addict. Some of you would say in here this morning, I am blank a depressed person. Some of you would say in here this morning, I am blank a greedy person. Some of you would say in here this morning, I am blank a guilt-driven person. How would you finish that sentence this morning? I am blank a what? God would have us finish it the following way. I am Rich McCorris, a forgiven follower. How about you this morning? Can you leave here and say, I am a forgiven follower? The mess won't be gone, but it's time to let God begin to work on the mess. I am. I can't finish it for you. But I do know the great I am. Jesus the Christ, the greatest person that's ever lived in history, who knows everything about you. That I am knows everything about your little I am. And even in the midst of knowing everything about your little I am, the great I am says this, come and be a forgiven follower. Today is the day to respond to the great I am by saying, I am a forgiven follower. I want to invite you today to make a confession, to make an acknowledgement, to say, I need help. Here's what it is, God. Here's what's going on. I want to invite you today to make a confession to someone else. Here's what's going on. Here's where I'm at. Help me. As in the same time as making that invitation, I want you to hear the following. You are a forgiven follower in Christ. That's why you can deal with the mess. Make that confession today. I am a forgiven follower of Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, We come before you this morning with all of our doubts, our past regrets, our guilts, our hopes and our dreams. God, we thank you for the way you've uniquely crafted each one of us. We lay ourselves at your feet. Who we are as individuals, we lay it down. God, I pray for anyone this morning that's struggling. I pray for anyone this morning that's got a mess that they sense is too too big. God, I pray that you'd bring a sense of freedom to them this morning. I pray that you'd surround them with people that they can open up with. And God, I pray that you would bring healing and reconciliation to the different messes in our life today. God, have your way among us. 
take this mess and make something masterful of it so that your name is glorified. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for inviting us to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.